0: Hello and welcome to episode one of the PD podcast at Estes Park School District. We hope to enlighten, inspire, or just spark conversation and curiosity about teaching and learning. The topic for our first podcast is about how we learn. How do we know when we're learning? We will explore the brain and learning. We'll hear from some students on their perspectives of how they know when they're learning and what teachers do in the classroom that promotes learning for them. We'll also interview an expert in the field who will shed some insight on how the brain learns and why sleep is so important for learning. How the brain processes and recalls information is fascinating, and if you are participating in any of our fall book studies, you will notice that each one of them is sprinkled with research on this topic. We as educators are given the job to grow the brain. yet so many of us have never had any formal education about the details of how the brain takes in, processes information, and then recalls that information later and applies that new knowledge and experience. Educators target the organ of learning, the brain, but most teachers and school leaders have little understanding of the architecture of this organ. The question I am pondering is, do students recognize when they're learning? The best way to inform ourselves as teachers is to ask our students, I interviewed some students of all ages on this subject. Let's hear a little bit from our primary students in the elementary school.
1: Um I know what I'm learning because I'm not thinking about like what my characters in my book are doing at the moment. I'm 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 not drifting off in space. I'm actually in there and I'm interacting and I I know that I'm learning because I can think about the thing and I can know the answer. Oh. Well, when I recognize
2: ruckus- when my room, when I'm learning is when I listen and I see the teacher like writing on the Promethean board and then she gives me a paper and I write. So it helps me because I see stuff that I know that's related
1: to school. One thing is we do brain breaks which is where you go up for about like two minutes and you do some sort of thing that gets your body moving so so you keep on moving and you don't have to think about it because like you get your energy out and it makes it harder to get distracted because you you take breaks and then it it That's hard to explain so but it just- do you feel just, like you need those breaks in order to focus? Yeah, oh uh, yeah To in order for me to do really good in school. I can those those brain breaks really help for reading we can go and we can read with a partner out loud and that helps reading out loud. So it it's like those little things that are breaks that really help me and make school fun. I'm gonna ask you the opposite question now. What
0: doesn't help you learn?
1: Um, well things that don't help me learn is sometimes I have a rough start in the day. So like I got really late, I got I got up really late. So then I have to rush, and I forget to do a lot of things, like bring my backpack to school, and then that sort of makes me in a cranky mood, which means me more easy to get annoyed. So then I might get a little annoyed with my friends, and that makes me thinking about my friends other than schoolwork, and that really takes my focus off of work.
2: Well, when someone else is. Um, being instruction. I look at them and the teacher's like mad at him so I I look at the other people and they're still doing this they're kind of do stuff bad sometimes so I like I so sometimes we have to put our head down when I don't do anything so it makes me not learn when people are instructing me.
0: Anything else you want to share with teachers about what they can do to help you learn
1: more effectively? Um, okay, well, hmm, do you have anything else?
2: Well, um, when you get a lot of exercise at recess, it helps you learn because you get a lot of exercise and it goes up to your brain, so it makes your brain smarter.
1: That's good advice. How about you? Um, te- Things ke- teachers can do is, well, not, well, of course, reading from a book is good. But if you just read from a book, like say you're doing social studies, it's much better to discuss it, to discuss the things you just learned than just read it and be done with it. Because if you discuss it, then it's, then it, you hear it instead of reading it and Discussing it helps you understand it because the teacher notices more if you raise your hand So you don't have to wait and forget the question. So definitely discussing is a good thing to do
0: We heard a little from some elementary age students how they recognize when they are learning what their teachers do to help them learn As students grow and age do they learn and process information in different ways? Do their needs change as they grow older to answer this question, I interviewed some middle and high school students to get some insight from them. I apologize for the background noise in these interviews. I interviewed most of these students in passing period or at lunch hour with lots of noise in the background. How do you know when you're not learning?
3: Oof. When I can look at one problem or when I can look at one sentence and I read it like eight times and I have no idea what it means. or. Um, in class if a teacher is explaining something on the board or the smart board and we have and the teacher has gone through probably 10 problems explaining how to do one thing and i still have no idea um when it's me personally that's not learning i understand or i notice that more when other people are learning it
0: are there, is there specific teaching styles or strategies that work for you, that help you learn?
3: For instance, Mr. Toffney's class. The reason I think it works really well is because he explains things in videos. And if you don't understand it the first time, then you can listen to him explain the same thing like as many times as you need to until you do get it. Mm. Do
0: you think practicing helps you learn?
3: Um, to a point, yeah. And then it's just exhausting.
0: Anything else you want to add? Um,
3: about how you know when you've learned? So for me there's like different levels of understanding something. One of them is like, I have no idea what this is. And somebody will write it out some way and I don't even know why certain numbers are in certain places. The next one is like, I know how to do a formula or something, let's say. but it only works like half the time, because there's some, some things like, what if something is a zero, or what if something is in a different unit, that I just, I don't account for, because um, I'm not very good at it. And once I've practiced it a bit more, the top level is like, I can put anything in and get anything out, because I've mastered the process.
1: If you get like a F on a test, the low people, like the low self esteem people, will be like, I can never do this, I'm so stupid. And then the high self-esteem, if they got an F, they would be like, oh, it's all right, just next time I have to study more and I'll nail it. You learn from your mistakes. That's what every teacher says. You learn by your mistakes and you know you'll never do again. Mistakes are magic. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I like to work with other people, too, sometimes. And I like details, too. Like, I can't put together one huge Problem, I have to like break it down and get more instructions Definite. than just like one thing. that uh. makes my brain hurt and that I can't like <laughs> process it. When you can't just grasp onto the question. Yeah. Um, some teachers like doing the, the problems first on the board with everyone, but then the next problems you do them by yourself or you could just ask them again. I think partners help when they're letting us use partners. I think it's a lot easier because if, like, I don't know it, then one of the other people in the class might understand it. So I can work with them, and that'll just help me I think more than just, like, one person, Mm -hmm. they can process it more. So if there's, like, two people that have, like, their ideas into, like, one idea that just one brain, two brains are better than one. I
0: wonder if teaching students about how their brain works would increase learning and help develop habits of mind and help them become more independent learners. I've used this hand model of the brain with students which I learned from Dr. Daniel Siegel. I like to use this model because it, it puts a visual with the knowledge of how the brain works and then they can imagine their brain in their head working like this model. When they are struggling or emotional they can think about this visual model of the brain and understand the relationship between their mind and body. The basics of the model are that you take your hand and you put your thumb in the middle of your hand and then fold your four fingers over your thumb. Dr. Siegel's model of the brain begins with the brainstem being the wrist, which is the first layer of the brain, or the lizard brain. This is your autonomic nervous system and regulates your breathing, your heart rate, your reflexes, and coordinates with the next region, your thumb, to control your fight, flight, or freeze response. All your basic needs must be met to prime the brainstem for learning. Then the thumb is tucked in the middle, and that is the limbic system of the brain. Most importantly, it houses the amygdala and the hippocampus. The amygdala is your emotional control center for the brain, and the hippocampus accesses your long-term memory storage. This becomes incredibly important as students hit adolescence because hormones have a tremendous impact on this region of the brain. The fingers fold over to represent the prefrontal cortex of the brain, which is where all our executive functioning takes place, controlling our critical thinking and complex behaviors. Using language from Dr. Siegel, if the amygdala is hijacked by emotion and in a heightened state due to some physical or emotional threat, then your brain flips its lid and the prefrontal cortex, or your four fingers, can't process any learning and no executive functioning takes place, which means we don't learn. The point being that we have to satisfy the brainstem, calm that amygdala down so the limbic system can talk with the prefrontal cortex, and we can access learning and memory, critical thinking and executive functioning. When we can do this, we literally grow brains. The fancy word is neuroplasticity, which means those neurons build and make connections and pathways that allow us to process information, relate it to our previous knowledge and experiences, and then store it and recall it later using the same pathways, over and over. And for those of us aging folks, don't let anyone tell you that old dogs can't learn new tricks. This is false. Neuroplasticity continues for the rest of our life. I'm nerding out way too much because I love this stuff, but the point is that we as educators have to understand this in order to be able to teach in a way that builds these neural pathways. It would be great if it were just that simple, but the fact is that it is not this simple. There is so much that goes into how the brain can process, recall, and apply information, and to gain some deeper insight, I called on an expert in the field. So our expert for this podcast is Ivy Anderson. Ivy is a neurologist, and um, she specializes in sleep medicine, and she works largely with teenagers and young children. And the best thing about Ivy is that she's also my sister. That's probably her most important credential. So <laughs> Ivy, tell us about tell us about some of the teens and young kids, students that you work with, and what are some of the major things, problems you
4: see them facing? I work a lot with sleep medicine, and and one of the things that I see more often is actually lack of sleep and how it affects um, how uh, the student can function during the day, both just with interactions with other kids, as well as um, actually functioning in school and being able to, to learn in a and retain information is uh, a problem with kids who don't get enough sleep. So then my field, that's what I see most often. For teenagers, I mean, the amount of sleep varies. Adults need seven to nine. Teenagers need eight to nine hours. And um, middle school kids up to 11 hours. Elementary kids at about nine to 11. And so that's a lot more than most kids get so that's my number one um i guess platform i'd take Uh, and then definitely it's not just quantity of sleep either because what i deal with is the quality of sleep because that also can affect the way the brain is ready to learn in the morning because you really need that that good you know quality sleep to feel refreshed in the morning to give the brain a clean slate and um, and so that's very important. And, and sleep does play, I, I will add, you know, sleep ha- does play a role in the learning process. And we know, in fact, it's just been worked out that the the deep slow wave sleep called stage three sleep actually plays a very important role in, in memory because it tends to clean all of the toxins and the byproducts of the brain's function during the day out. Because when you're in stage three sleep, you, the, the brain cells actually shrink a little bit and then that, that allows the spinal fluid to kind of wash all of the byproducts of metabolism from the brain's work that day out and then you can excrete them in the body. And so when you don't get that slow wave sleep, then you're not allowed to do that process and that's, that's what is linked to um, the memory problems later on in Alzheimer's. So that's kind of an interesting new, new science um, discovery in the last few years. And so it just kind of solidifies that you know good quality of sleep in kids is so important. Um, secondly, uh, other than sleep, exercise is extremely important um, to, to maintain that the, the, the function of learning and just overall good health during the day. Exercise helps kind of set the circadian rhythm so that you can then be, a, your body is then tired enough to go to sleep at night. Um, exercise also plays a ro- role in, in learning. Um, Or in in memory, Um, and then nutrition. Nutrition is extremely important because the brain is the highest metabolic organ in the body. It uses the most sugar and glucose out of any organ in the body. And so, when you have lack of nutrition, the first thing that suffers is the brain. And so, you know, maintaining snacks during the day. Make sure you know having. Good breakfast in the morning, you know, enough protein and a little carbs to get that glucose level up and the protein to sustain it is, is very crucial um, in, in children and adults for that matter.
0: What are some of the long-term lasting effects for kids that don't get a lot of sleep?
4: Well, I, we're still doing a lot of research and studying on how, what the effects of, of, of lack of sleep in children can do to their adult life. But we know as far as with sleep in in acute functioning in kids, we know that it can decrease their attention span and their ability to concentrate and focus. And so the kids with poor sleep, which is usually defined as less than five hours a night on average, less than five to six hours a night, they tend to have uh, lower grades than other kids that get more sleep. And then they can also um, have even test lower on IQs as far as the acute reaction. And then we're still, there's not enough known about what that can do for adulthood. Um, but eat, when we you take the entire general population, and what we know about how sleep affects the brain and how we learn, we know that in general, adults, uh, if they get chronic sleep deprivation, which is defined as less than six hours a night on average, they definitely have a lot more, car more um, medical comorbidities, such as increased risk of heart disease, high blood pressure, um, increased risk of stroke. And also, we definitely have seen that sleep deprivation can uh, increase the risk of developing dementia or Alzheimer's disease later on in life. Mm.
0: So we've talked a lot as a staff, and we're working on some Book studies this fall that talk a lot about brain mind education and what educators need to know about the brain. And but if you could give advice to teachers now, any teachers in the profession, of just some basic things they need to know about the brain and how it functions and how to prepare the brain for learning, what would that advice be?
4: Well, I mean the. My advice, well, first of all, I would say that memory, the whole process of memory is very complex. And so you really, what we know about memory now is you really need the whole brain to be, to be on functioning be, to, to get proper memory to be in place. Because we used to think it was mainly a, a hippocampus. Um, Amygdala sort of uh, process, but now we know that every part of your brain is involved in in memory and retaining memories. And so, when you actually go to retrieve memories, it's not just one part of your brain that's active. It's it's all the entire brain because as you learn a new skill, you're making these connections, these neural connections throughout the brain, and then that allows you to retrieve it later. And so, what I would tell. our teachers is that in order to get the best memory and retention from kids if you can actually make the learning process something that they're engaged in and that they are that they're they have they have a stake in that they want they, they enjoy that it's going to affect them if they learn it then that allows that br- the brain to to be able to retain it a lot easier than if they see a fact that is not going to matter to them so, so that, that's a hard thing to do, and that's what makes the teacher's job kind of difficult. But that would be, that would be my advice, is to try to, to make it, it relate to something in their life so that they can participate in that active learning.
0: One more thing that I want to ask about is we see, and this is you know, something we're hearing about nationally and statewide, um, this uh, increase in depression among teenagers. Do you think that is, what can you tell us about depression, and is that linked to sleep and nutrition and exercise and learning?
4: Yeah, well, definitely, I mean, as far as my sleep um, medicine profession, depression is definitely linked to sleep deprivation, and what I treat mainly is is not just insomnia and lack of sleep, but in obstructive sleep apnea, which essentially causes uh, sleep deprivation because the airway closes and then it cuts down the oxygen supply. So then your body has to go into fight or flight mode to kind of stimulate the airway to breathe again. And then that causes disruption in the sleep pattern. So it's not, you don't get that that deep, slow wave sleep involved um, during the night. So sleep apnea definitely Along with sleep deprivation, has been linked to increased symptoms of depression and anxiety. But it's such a complicated issue. So there's so many other factors that are involved with depression. Um, lack of 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 outdoor activity, lack of leisure time, can also be involved in depression where the mind just, does, now as a society, we're getting, we're so 24 seven and there's so much stimulation that kids get. And so there's very few, few or very low amount of time during the day where they can actually get out and just kind of chill and relax. And the brain needs those periods of relaxation as well. Um, and then that can, can also be involved. So it is definitely a complex issue.
0: So I'm hearing as you talk some things that we as educators can control. We can't control the sleep necessarily because we don't go home with the child, but things Mm -hmm. we can control are making learning connected to something they're passionate about, giving it purpose, uh, finding some novelty and fun and play in what Mm -hmm. we're doing and learning. Um, we can provide exercise we can provide some leisure time outdoor and exercise and you know we can provide nutrition while they're at school at least any other words of wisdom or thing advice you have for teachers
4: i would also add to that you are our eyes so you see these kids more than most parents do and so um that you can look for, for signs that you're concerned about. As far as my, in my profession, I rely on teachers a lot to tell me what's going on with them during the day. Are they, are they falling asleep in class? Are they, you know, the, the attention issues can definitely come out in the classroom and then it can alert, you know, the, the parents to seek medical attention and, and possibly, um, come to a, a, you know, a treatment option for them that can really enhance their learning process and school school uh, performance. Thank you, Ivy. You're welcome. It was my pleasure.
0: I want to give a special thanks out to all the students who helped with this podcast. Elsa, Evelyn, Tyler, Cassidy, Delilah, Juan Diego, Mackenzie, Patricia, Olivia, Macy, and Nevaeh. Thanks so much for your help, and thank you everyone for listening to our very first episode of EPSD, PD podcast. Have a great day.